0: Hello everyone, good morning. Welcome to Wednesday Bible Study. I'll just give you a second to join in and maybe in that time while people are joining in, I could just give a quick recap of what we've been doing. So, But, but please know that if you haven't been following along with us right from the beginning, it doesn't matter because you could catch on right here, right now, where we are today and it would be like you never missed anything, so but you can go back and watch us on um, Catch Up. Apparently now there's podcasts of this, so you can watch that as well. Um, but yeah, so you can catch up at a later time. Okay, well, we have been in Matthew Chapter 5. I'm still just just kind of recapping here so as to let people join on. Um, oh, that's Poppy. Poppy is a regular. That's my little dog. That's Okay, enough yet now, please um, she likes to interject with a little bark every now and again. You are going to stop this right now, okay? We're not doing this. All right. She always has something to say. All right, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5. This is when Jesus walks up the side of a mountain, and he sits himself down, and his followers come to listen to him on this mountainside. Thus, Sermon on the Mount, I mean, right? I mean, you don't need to be in- uh, rocket scientists to figure some of this out, right? And um Jesus starts preaching a sermon or teaching to his to his followers. So the sermon on the mount, which we have begun with and we did we did all the beatitudes. Now you can go back and listen to all the ones about the beatitudes because um That is Jesus himself, God with us, because that's who Jesus is. And and it's important to remember that through this entire sermon, that this is not just a great preacher. This is not just a really awesome prophet. This is God with us. Jesus was everything that God is uh, in human form, here with us, giving a sermon. That's a sermon I want to listen to. That's a sermon you want to listen to. And no disrespect here, but you've heard the statement right from the horse's mouth, okay? Jesus, I'm not saying he's a horse, but you know what I mean. Right from the mouth of the Son of God, a sermon being preached. I want to hear that sermon. So it begins with the Beatitudes, where Jesus is telling believers, because this is aimed at believers, his followers, not toward the unsaved. He's telling them how to have a blessed life and what the life of one of his followers should look like. What kingdom lifestyle looks like in the life of a believer. And that's what he begins with, those beatitudes. Um, It's a Latin word that means, you know, blessed. Beatitude. Um, So he's telling them how to have a blessed life, how to live a happy life. That's what blessed means. It actually just means happy. And we also looked at it in the Hebrew mindset of the word blessed means to be enlarged. So in the sense, Jesus is saying to them, listen, you need to enlarge your life. You want to enlarge your life, then begin thinking the thoughts of God. And that's what he's telling them, to rethink these things. This is blessed are you when, and then he talks about, and this enlarges the life of his believers. They're blessed. Okay. Um, Okay, and last week, last week was the very last of the Beatitudes that dealt with what happens when you start living the life, the kingdom lifestyle, when it starts coming forth out of your life and you're living this lifestyle. We saw last week how living this lifestyle of a person from God's kingdom, that they're not necessarily going to be loved for being the Christ follower that, that they are, that they're not going to be loved by those walking in darkness. That actually Christians, believers, that were promised, we are promised persecution. And we saw how in God's kingdom that we get the honor of bearing the name. That's what it. That's what the scripture actually says. That. That's what persecution is. That's what we get in this life, is the honor of bearing the name. What name? The name of Christ. To be stamped with the name of Christ on this earth and to be recognized by God as one of his sons, as one of his daughters. We get to bear the name of Christ, and it's an honor. And we talked about having a life worth living, and for some, persecution may take them to a death worth dying, Um, and and, uh, we discussed that last week. So maybe you want to catch up on that one that we talked about um, last week about the persecuted. Okay, so let's carry on now. We are in Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to discuss verses 17 through 48 today. And if you want to put a title on this, it would be Christ Fulfills the Law. Okay, And I was talking about this with um, some of my family earlier, and I said, it's not a real grabby title, is it? Christ fulfills the law. But actually, had Christ not fulfilled the law, we'd be lost. We'd be lost in our sins. So although it's not a wow, riveting title, the idea that Christ fulfills the law is like wow. Okay, It is actually wow when you think about it, when you ponder it. Okay, so Jesus is still on the side of this mountain. He began with the Beatitudes. And you have to remember who he's talking to, believers, his followers. But these believers, these followers and listeners on the side of this mountain, they were people who knew the law of Moses. You know, these people were Jews. And Jesus is telling them right here in verse 17, he wants to make it very, very clear to his listeners that he is in no way trying to do away with or to change anything about the law and the prophets. Um, and by the law and the prophets, I mean what we call now today the Old Testament. You know, the first five books, were, which were God, when he gave Moses the, the whole law. Then we've got the the prophets, all the prophets foretelling the coming of the Messiah and um, the coming of the um, of the end of, of all time, right? Right. Um, Jesus wasn't coming to change any of that, take any of that away, or to discard it. Not in any way. Let's look at verse 17 of, cha- of chapter 5. Okay? 5, 17. Here we are. This is Jesus, right out of Jesus' mouth. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay? He said, I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill it. So he wasn't changing the law or taking it away, but he was going to interpret the law for them in a different way than they had learned from the Pharisees, than what they had learned from the Pharisees that had been teaching them. And you're going to hear this often throughout these, um, these verses that, that we're talking about today, that, that uh, Jesus was saying, um, you have heard from old meaning for years and years and years and years now. So from ancient times, from old, this is how this has been interpreted, something from the law. And he, and then he's going to go on and say how he interprets it. So he didn't come to destroy the word of God, but to free it from the way the Pharisees and the scribes had wrongly interpreted it. Now remember that Jesus, I said this earlier, Jesus is, was, at that time still is, God with us and he was going to challenge man's interpretation of the law but he wasn't going to change anything but he's going to challenge it and he's going to help them see it in a new light kingdom light okay so Jesus says I've not come to do away with the law I've come to fulfill the law how how is he going to fulfill the law okay I have a few ways here okay one way that he fulfilled the law was that he was the only person to ever keep the law perfectly. Perfectly. He kept the law. He had no sin in him. He was the only human being to ever keep the law in that way. He fulfilled the law. Okay. Next, everything in the law that pointed to him. We often talk about, Oh, when we're in the old Testament, this is a type and a shadow of what is to come. That is the Messiah. Everything that was a type and a shadow under the law was actualized in the person of Jesus. The shadow was his shadow, okay? So, he was the thing that they were shadowing in the Old Testament, or the person. Sorry, I don't want to call him a thing, but you know what I mean. He was the the embodiment of that shadow, okay? So, in that way, he was everything that those type and shadows was pointing to, it was Jesus, Okay, and three, under the law, we all know that um, lambs were slain, animals were slain um, for the uh, covering of the sins of the people. It just covered it. They had to do it um, once a year to cover the sins of the people for, for the year, and it just covered. But Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So he fulfilled the law in that he was the ultimate sacrifice that would take away, the perfect sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. So in that way, he fulfilled the law. Okay, let's look at Romans 10, verse 4. It says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So all who just believe in what Jesus did and accept that into their life, they are made right with God, okay? That's a gift, it's a gift, okay? That, that, that he, he was just the ultimate gift. Okay, now let's look at the law from the Old Testament. You all have a picture in your head, maybe from when you were in Sunday school as a kid, or maybe you remember the, the story of Moses, the movie, you know, is it Charlton Heston walking down the mountain and he's all, you know, got this hairy beard and, and he's walking down and he's holding the two tablets of stone, right? Maybe you remember this from your childhood days on the fuzzy felt board, those two tablets of stone, Okay. So Moses was carrying these. What was on those tablets of stone? The law, the Ten Commandments, right? You know, nothing in the Bible is a mistake. Why? Why was it written on stone? What was the point of that? And some of you might be very cheeky and say, well, there was no paper. Ha ha. I don't know if there was paper or not. But the reason why it was written on stone is because of what the stone represented as well. This. What is stone? Stone is cold. It's hard. It's dead. It's lifeless. It has no feeling and this represented what it was going to be to live out the law to have to live out the law for your righteousness with a hard lifeless loveless heart a heart that was just obeying the rules to make everything just appear right and good on the outside when inside in the heart there was no devotion to god you obeyed a rule but inside You might have been having resentment about having to obey that rule. Uh, You might have been, they might have been rolling their eyes like, oh, like, you know, when you tell your children to do things and they don't really want to do them. And the eye roll comes here. I'm going to give you one one like this. You know, usually it comes with a little at the end, right? Um, and, And it's almost in effect that they're saying, I'm doing it on the outside, but on the inside, I'm not doing it. You know, like you tell your child, sit down, you know, like your little toddler, sit down, and they sit down, but they give you this look like, okay, I'm sitting on the outside, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, but inside, I'm not sitting down, you know? And you could just, you, the attitude is there. It's coming from the inside, this attitude. But this is not ever, ever how God wanted it nor is it how he wants it now, okay? This is not how he wants it now. Let me read you a verse from Ezekiel. And this is a beautiful, beautiful scripture that talks about something that is now already done, but that what God was prophesying through the prophet in the book of Ezekiel, but it's done for us now. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you, I will take out your stony, mm-hmm, stone, stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit and in in the scripture, it's a capital S. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, OK, this is all about about that new heart. That's what I want to talk about, but I also don't want you to miss this, okay? You get a new, soft, living, beating, feeling heart, right? That's what the gift of God is going to be, and that's what he wanted for us. He was going to take out that stony heart, give you a soft, beautiful heart, and, and I don't want you to miss this, okay? The second half of that scripture, I'm just going to accentuate that now before we go on, and I will put my spirit... In you that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Let's not miss that part. And I'll tell you why. Because we are going to need his Holy Spirit to help us live this life that Christ is calling us to live. That's not a small point. That is a main point, okay, about that whole scripture in Ezekiel. You get a new heart, but let's not forget the bit that also says, And I will fill you with my spirit. Okay, Okay. uh, now let's look at chapter 5. We're still in chapter 5 here. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. Okay, whoever therefore... Am I in the right verse here? Okay, yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Okay, whoever therefore breaks one of these, least of these commandments, this is still Jesus talking, and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them he shall be, called, but whoever does teaches them to keep the law um, and teaches them. He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds, okay, listen to that word, exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's talk about this the pharisees now we talked about this one other time the scribes and the pharisees they were incredibly incredibly devoted to carrying out the law okay the law at all costs so the people listening to this must have been very puzzled by jesus at this point and asking themselves this question how on earth can i follow the law better than a pharisee and then they must have thought because it says if you're not if your righteousness doesn't exceed that is not greater than that of a Pharisee, then you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And so they must have said, I'm, I'm like not even as good as the I don't follow the law like the Pharisees follow the law. I'm doomed. I am doomed. But now Jesus is going to interpret the law for them correctly as God meant for it to be. Like, and like any good teacher, okay? This is just the thing about teaching. Like any good teacher, and Jesus would have been the best, He's going to give them six examples from the law of how it was taught from old by the by the um, Pharisees. But now, then he's going to say, but I say unto you, meaning now I'm going to tell you how this is truly to be interpreted. Okay, so like I said, you're going to be... Each one, each one of these six examples that Jesus is going to now shed kingdom light on, the, on how the law has been interpreted formerly for these people and how he is now. You're going to hear, you have heard that it was said of old. And then he's going to go on to say what was said. But then he's going to interpret them, interpret it for them by saying, but I say unto you. And you know what? Listen, he's showing his authority here as well, because he's not saying, and I'm quoting Rabbi blah, 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 or I'm quoting this one or that one. He's not quoting any ancient rabbis or Pharisees. He's going to give us the interpretation by saying, and I say it is this way. Okay, so he's, he's showing us his authority and he's showing his believers, the, the believers who are his followers, his authority as well in this too. Okay, so we're not going to look at all six, okay, because, you know, time constraints. But you can look at every single one of his examples in this light, that he gives it how it was, and then he gives the reinterpretation uh, under, in, in the way it was meant to be. So the first example he gives, though, is this, and it's in verse 21 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said um, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Okay? So, um, the first ones, you shall not murder. They, The people would have heard the Pharisees teach this, right? I mean, it's pretty known that murder is a terrible thing. I mean, that's kind of a worldwide thing that's sort of just in us, isn't it? But we know murder is wrong. Um, and they're correct. They would have been correct. Uh, the Pharisees were not wrong in saying that, you shall not murder. It says it in the law. You shall not murder. Um, so, if there was a situation, there was someone was very angry at someone else, and they were reacting to this anger inside them, uh, inside themselves. Um, that as long as their reaction didn't lead to murder, to the outright, you know, eh, stick a knife in them or whatever, then it was okay. No law was broken, okay? So in other words, the outward appearance of doing what was right will suffice, you know? They were saying, yeah, you know, you get angry, this, that, the other thing, as long as you don't kill them, as long as there's no murder involved, you're good, you're good with God, it's okay, it looks right on the outside. Now Jesus, however, says this, okay, it's not only those who commit the act of murder who are in danger of judgment, the actual act, but those who who have murderous intent in the heart are also in danger of the judgment it's all i just want you to listen you're going to hear about the heart so much in this re interpretation of the law because this is what jesus is trying to point to that it comes from the heart so he's saying it's not just those who who actually engage in the act of murder But it's those who have murderous intent in the heart that they are also in danger of judgment. All right. Uh, Okay, now we spoke about this biblical truth. Uh, I can't remember if it was last week. We we mention it most weeks because in this sermon, it has so much to do. Jesus is really pointing toward the heart and, and the activity of what's going on in the heart. But we spoke about this uh, Bible truth in Proverbs Proverbs four twenty three. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. We called it, and I read this somewhere, and I just it stuck in me, that the heart is the head office of our whole lives. And from head office, the heart, every other part of your life will be affected. Okay, so the overflow of a righteous heart, one that is hel- a healthy heart before God, the overflow of that is going to be right living and right actions and vice versa. the the overflow of uh, a heart that is not right with God is going to be wrong living and wrong actions. We know that, okay? So we have to bear that in mind. Now look at verse 22. Jesus is still talking about this whole idea of, you know, this is what the Pharisees say about murder. Don't murder, okay? As long as you don't murder. But he says in verse 22, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, and this is a word here, raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Oh, my goodness. Okay. (laughs) My Bible has a funny little um, notation. It's actually not funny, but I just had a little chuckle at it. That that word raka is equivalent to calling someone a blockhead. (laughs) <laughs> That's what it says. Um, so Jesus is saying here that even those seeds of anger toward a person, um, this angry uh, attitude in the heart, where where you're insulting the character of another person and saying, "Oh, that person's such a blockhead," that even that those attitudes in the heart, even without the actual act of murder, is not. Good. Now, now, I just want to reiterate here. Jesus isn't saying that anger in the heart and murder are the same. He's not saying it's the same, but he is saying that they are both sin. Okay? He's not putting anger in the heart right there with murder because we know that it's not the same. I mean, to be angry, even in our own justice system, you can be angry in your heart with someone. You're not going to go to prison. But if you murder someone, you are going to go to prison. There is a difference but they are both sin. Okay, so verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. And verse 24 also says, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so let's look at verse 23. Under the law, people would bring gifts to the altar. This was something that was expected of people who lived under the law. Um, and and it, boy, did that look ever so nice on the outside, you'd look and you'd see that family over there bringing their offering and that family, you go, oh, how, how very lovely, how very righteous, looks beautiful, looks wonderful. And it looks good on the outside, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. They're told to bring sacrifices to the altar and all that, to, to have this religious ceremony was part of the law. It was part of it and it was okay. Um, and it looked good on the outside. But Jesus is far less into the offering and the religious ceremony of the whole thing um, than he is of the heart attitude. And he says, if you're coming to the altar and God brings it to your attention, his spirit brings that to your attention, that there's a problem with a brother or a sister, that he says, just leave the gift there at the altar and first, first and foremost, reconcile to your brother. And then... Perform your religious duty. You know, God wants the heart right first before the offering, before the religious duty is given, because then the offering is going to be genuine and from a heart that is soft toward God, a heart that is flesh. Heart that has that is in communion with God, that loves God and desires to please Him. Out of this this devotion you have for Him, instead of that heart of stone that says, "You know, as long as I bring the offering, all is well." No, Jesus is saying it's not just about the outside. It is a hundred percent of what's going on on the inside that got. Uh, look, in the Old Testament, God just says it outright. Do you remember when the prophet goes and he wants to find the the next king of of Israel and God sends him to the house of Jesse and he's looking at all these strapping sons of of Jesse and they look amazing and they're tall and they're you know muscle bound and and, and he looks at all the sons, the prophet, and he sees the one that catches his eye. Because physically on the outside, he's got it all. He's the full package. He's muscles. He's good looking and whatever. And God says, no, that's not the one I've chosen. He says, you know, man looks on the outward appearance. But I look at the heart. It always has mattered to God what is in the heart. And he says even here to these Jewish people, Okay under the law there is an outward appearance of things that, that you know that you have to do a ceremonial thing but first let's deal with the heart issue and that's what he's saying you go make it right first with a brother with a sister and then you're offering before god because then it is from a heart that has heard from god and responded to god out of devotion to him and that's what it's always been meant to be about a heart of love and devotion for god And look at 1 John 4.20 to back that up. This scripture has always, always, and I I think forever will be on this side of eternity, has, um, I have always felt the Holy Spirit really press this in on me, this one. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For we don't love people For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? (sighs) Oh my goodness, mic drop, boom, right? (laughs) There you go, that's 1 John 4.20. So you see, it's always about the heart. You can bring your offering, you can bring your religious ceremony, you can go to church on Sunday and lift your hands before the Lord. It looks beautiful, it looks righteous, it looks like the right thing to be doing, but if in your heart you're hating your brother, you're hating your sister, you have anger, such anger in your heart, for someone. Ooh, such jealousy in your heart about someone. God says, you know what? Before you stand in church and give me big money offerings, oh, look, I'm going to give my tithe now or I'm going to give an offering even above my tithe. Those are good things. Those are beautiful things and we're called to do those. But first and foremost, we are to get our heart right because God asks us to and because we love him. And because our soft new heart that he's put inside of us responds to what God wants for us to do. We don't follow a law because it's a law. I've got to do it. We follow a law because it's written on our heart. On our soft heart that says, you know what, God, I love you so much. And I want to be obedient to you. You say to forgive that person, I will forgive them. I'll go have a word with them. I'll go have a chat. Hey, does that mean that every time you go to somebody who there's something you're at odds with, or something that they're gonna be like, "Okay, that's fine." No, they might say, "Get out of here. I don't receive your um, your apology, or I don't want to hear about. I don't want to hear about it." But you want to know something? When you do the right thing on your part, then you and God are good. If you get it right on, if they don't receive it, it's no longer on your plate. It's between them and God now. And when they go to bring their offering or lift their hands or do whatever it is that they're going to do, now they have to get it right before God. But before God, you've done the right thing. So just saying that. Threw that one in for free. Okay, Okay. so the problem that Jesus is hitting on the head here, boom, is that the Pharisees were teaching that as long as it all looked correct on the outside— then you were good before God. You're good. You didn't murder anyone. Okay, you're good. But Jesus says this. Um, um, he says this thing, which is recorded later in the book of Matthew. We're not here yet. This is going to be in Matthew twenty-three. What what his attitude about this was to the Pharisees? This harsh words here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. I mean, I wouldn't want to hear those words from Jesus to me, you know. No, I would not want to hear those. But that's what Jesus thinks of the way the law was being taught. Because there was no heart attached to it. Because they weren't dealing with the heart. They were dealing with it in a wrong way outward religious way that as long as it looked good, it didn't matter if it was full of dead men's bones. Jesus says, no, it does matter. It it should be coming from a living, alive heart that's filled with my spirit. Okay. So Jesus is going to again and again in his six examples, murder was one of those examples. He's going to point out how the Pharisees have taught the people and it will always be purely an outward show of righteousness with no heart. um, With no real true desire for genuine righteousness. Um, And then he's going to tell the people um, how God really meant for it to be. Um, And, you know, I I use this term genuine righteousness. Uh, What am I meaning by that term genuine righteousness? Let's just get that right, right from the beginning. And I'm going to go to Isaiah 64, 6, where it says, Our own righteousness... Is as filthy rags. Our good works, just the good things that we do. I'm doing this because it's the it's. It looks good. Um, you know, it, it's it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, like I'm bringing my offering. I'm raising my hands. You know, I'm I'm bringing my bags of groceries to the the soup kitchen to help. Okay, that's good. But when we try to get right with God by just good our good works, it says that our good works are like filthy rags. There's nothing we could do that is good enough to get righteous before God. You know, it was like that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we realize, Jesus is reiterating that, that blessed are the poor in spirit. When we know that we bring nothing to the table to save ourselves and we need God, I can't do this without you, God. I can't save myself. My good works, what the scripture says, are as filthy rags. Just doing what's right on the outside, when inside there's a heart of stone toward God. That's what our own righteousness is. Genuine righteousness is a changed heart by God, not by our works, by God, through the free free gift, okay? I'm, re- I'm just pointing this out. It's a free gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. If you want to read more about that, go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. And that's what it's called. The free gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. By faith. By faith, we just say, Jesus, come in. Give me a new heart. I receive what you've done for me in the sacrifice of your blood. And you give me that new heart. And now let me live from that new heart. That's the that's true righteousness from that free gift from from God through Jesus. Okay? That's genuine righteousness. And Jesus is pointing that out here, that there's a genuine righteousness which comes from within. And works its way out where there's the righteousness of the pharisees which is make it all clean on the outside and you know maybe one day you'll be clean on the inside but probably not full of dead men's bones okay verse 25 um verse 25 uh so jesus is still on this where he's talking about murder and he's saying to get it right with your brother get it right with your sister and he says in verse 25 agree with your adversary this person you're having trouble with quickly While you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Now, what he's talking about here, and I don't even have this in my notes, but I was looking at this, um... And, and verse 26, Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You know, he's talking about what could happen to you right here on earth if you don't get it right with a brother, with a sister. You know, they could take this thing to the court of laws. They could take this thing all the way, you know, even get you put in prison or whatever, or, you know, take you for your last penny. But Jesus is also alluding to the fact that um, in eternity you will by no means get off of this scot-free, because he had talked about judgment. When your righteousness is just from your filthy rags and you don't have the free gift of Jesus, that you will by no means escape the judgment. And he is alluding to that here in verses 25 and 26 by talking about it in natural ways that your enemy is going to take you to the full extent of the law, potentially. Um, But so are we we when we don't have the payment for our sins set out properly. So he's alluding to what will happen, um, with your eternal life as well. Okay. So that's how important it is to get it right in the heart. All right. The next thing he talked about, and like I said, remember, um, oh, I also talked about this. How, how do we make it right with our, with our brother and sister? Jesus says quickly. So what does that say about, um, what does it say about our obedience to God? That once God highlights something to you that needs changing in the heart because of our, our you know, we're not perfect. We get things wrong. Um, But when we have this living relationship with God, a soft heart toward God, he's given us a new heart, that free gift of righteousness that we have. When the Holy Spirit, because we're filled with the Spirit as well, when he highlights that we need to get something right, how do we go about getting it right quickly he says go do it quickly this is remember this is god with us he's speaking the thoughts of god when you are not right with god when things are out of sync when you are in disobedience even as a believer as a follower you know what he's so gracious he says just get it right just go go and sort it out quickly 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 get right with God, and that's how a soft heart wants to be. We don't want to live in animosity with God against His wishes. You know where where God's saying one thing, we're pulled this way, and then the world and, and our own opinion is saying the other thing this way. But we want to live at peace and get it right with God. And how do we do that? Jesus says, verse twenty five: Quickly get it right. Quickly. Okay. Now, the next thing he talks about, uh, and I'll mention this, is adultery. All right, we'll talk about this example. Now, under the law, it said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. 100% true. Pharisees were right on. They were quoting the law. True. But Jesus goes one further, and he says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his or her heart. Okay, again, Jesus is not saying... um, that lusting after someone in the heart is the same as an actual adulterous act. An adult by adultery. If you don't know what the term adultery means, it means um, it means that someone in a, in who is married in this scenario, whether both people are married and they to other people and they um, have a sexual relationship, or one of the party is married and has a sexual relationship with someone who is not their husband or their wife. Okay, so that's what is meant by adultery. So he's saying that even if you look at someone and have the thoughts in your heart, but you have to also please be aware that just because it says that it was as if you committed adultery, that, well, I might as well now, I did it in my heart, I might as well just go the full-fledged thing and have an adulterous relationship, that that would be ridiculous and silly. And Jesus is not saying that, okay? So I'm just saying. Um, Again, Adultery in the heart and an actual act of adultery, they are not exactly the same thing, but they are both sins. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? They are sins. What happens in the heart when it's not right is also a sin as well as the actual act, okay? Um, All right. So verses 29 through 30. Let me clarify this, okay? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Oh my. And verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Can I tell you something? That throughout history, there have people who have taken this quite literally and have had eye plucking and hand chopping going on. And there are even religions that do such things for when people commit crimes. And that is not what Jesus is saying by any means. He is using a figure of speech, okay? A figure of speech. Don't go lopping off your hands and gouging out your eyes because he's making a point by using a figure of speech. And the people would have understood it as well, okay? Oh, I'm sorry I even had to clarify that, but there are people who just wonder, what is Jesus saying here? You know, why is he being so vile? He's not. He's using a figure of speech. Okay. Um, oh, okay, verses 31 through 32. All right, this is one of his examples as well. I think this is the last example that I am going to discuss. And this is one about the fact that marriage, uh, marriage is sacred to God. And this is one of his examples about how the law interpreted it and how he interprets it. Okay, and I'm going to read it. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Um. Okay, uh, did I read 32? No, I didn't need to read that. Okay, so this is it. He says, It has been said that divorce is fine, this is what the Pharisees have said, as long as you give it a certificate of divorce. This is what the Pharisees were teaching since the time of Moses. Now, Jesus also speaks about divorce, and please can I clarify here, my message is not about divorce today, and I might get some emails or texts or whatever about divorce, if you are divorced. Jesus, this is not about divorce or remarriage or anything like that. This is just an example that Jesus used about how it's interpreted differently by the Pharisees and how actually he says it's to be interpreted. Now, Ma- um in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus spoke about divorce. And he and he spoke about it in this way because they came to him and they tra- were trying to the religious leaders were trying to trip him up in his in his teaching, but he was he's a genius, so and he in, you know, he is God with us. He basically, well, basically he wrote the law, okay? So he can't trip them up. But this is what he says. Um, that the reason why certificates of divorce were even a thing, Jesus points this out, was because, and he says this, Jesus said, because of the stubbornness stubbornness of the hearts of the people. I mean, they didn't even want to make it right. They didn't even want to try to get along with their spouse. Um you know, they wanted what they wanted. To these and, and bear this in mind, women couldn't write a certificate of divorce. Only men, and even in Jesus' day, only men could write the certificate of divorce. Um, women were sort of at their whim. So if a man was just tired of his wife or didn't even like her cooking, that was a thing. If he didn't like her cooking, he could get rid of her for someone who cooked better. Bye. Handy dandy certificate of divorce and all was well because it was okay under the law but you see Jesus is pointing out something here he's saying okay it's all good this breaking apart of marriage and just getting rid of your wife because you're tired of her you want a new model right um but Jesus says it was never meant to be because and he says this when he's talking to when he's talking to he says in the beginning this is not how God intended of it. And he was talking about when God made Adam and Eve, he didn't intend for what God to put it, uh, together for man to pull apart. We even say that in the vows, don't we? What God has joined together, let no man pull asunder. We say that. We say that in today's. And the truth is, that's what divorce is. Divorce is pulling apart something that God has joined together. And it clearly says in the scriptures, it's it's not even like mincing words. It says, God hates divorce. You know why God hates divorce? Not because it's a legal thing, you know? You know, marriage it's legal. And I'm I'm a hard nose about this. God hates divorce because it's ripping apart something he joined together, which means it's causing pain and hurt and brokenness and he loves people too much for them to endure going through this and to to the pain that it causes them. Even in this, Jesus is saying, so you're saying it's okay, Pharisees, that as long as it's all done, you know, according to the law, it's righteous. Well, Jesus said, actually, that's not the way God wanted it in the beginning. He allowed it, yes, but it's not God's A number one plan. His A number one plan was that they would be joined together And that no one would be able to pull them apart and they'd live a godly life together. We don't live in a perfect world and divorce happens. And there's no judgment. I'm not judging you. And again, I said, this is not about divorce. I'm just saying Jesus is talking about the law says, you know, it's all good and clean and perfect and don't worry about it. It's the certificate of divorce is there. Jesus said the only reason that he gives allowed it was because of the stubbornness of human hearts. Okay, but please, again, um, this is not to make anyone divorced feel bad. I'm not talking about whether it's right or whether it's wrong or anything. I'm just talking about Jesus' interpretation as opposed to the Pharisees' interpretation. Okay, all right, Um, verse 43. Where are we? Oh, you know what? Yeah, verse 43. Could you do me a favor? Um, Excuse me one second. Could you open in that Bible on the floor to Matthew chapter 5 just for me? And I'll be, I'll get it in a second. All right, verse 43. Uh, Where are we? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just looking for this verse. Here we go. Okay, this was the last example I'm going to talk about. And in my Bible here, it's about loving our enemies. That's what Jesus is going to hit that one on the head now. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. And I pray and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Um, Don't even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet your brother only, what, um, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What is he saying right here? He's saying, you've heard it said, love your your neighbor and hate your enemy, okay? And Jesus is saying, this is what I'm saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Well, because God was the greatest example of loving enemies, right? We were his enemies. Um, And when your heart is alive and devoted to God then that heart wants what God wants. You have a desire to please him when your heart is alive to God, when you've got that new heart, not a stony heart, okay? And uh, Romans 5.10 says this, to back that up, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son, okay? In verse 47, Jesus points out that if you only love the lovable, what's what's the big deal? I mean, we all, even worldly people, love lovable people. You're not any different from the world. You're not showing that you're a believer, that you're from the kingdom of God when you only love the lovable people. Jesus is telling us to not use the world as an example here, but to look to God as your example in this situation, okay? That the... The um, Pharisees teach an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what it says under the law. Jesus says, actually, he says, what I say is love, love your enemies. Pray for those who who persecute you, because even while you were enemies of God, he still loved you. So Jesus is reinterpreting the laws of how God meant for them to be interpreted, because the Pharisees were excluding a softened heart toward God, full of devotion. And it was just about the outward appearance where Jesus is saying, we do what the law says to do, but we do it out of a heart that is renewed for him being filled with his spirit. Now, I am going to finish right here and I am going to read my message Bible, the very last verse of Matthew chapter five, because I just feel like it sums up the whole thing so well. I just love how it's written in here. Verse 48, okay, let's find it. Okay, I can read it right here from my notes. Verse 48, chapter five, and it's a good summation of what we talked about. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. (laughs) You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. What does he mean by that? That means that new heart. That new heart that 's inside from you you're going to live out of your newly created heart, the new heart that he said he's going to take the stony heart out, eh throw it away he's going to put inside you a soft heart, a flesh, a living heart that beats for God, that is in communion with God, that wants what God wants, it wants to please him it, it, it hears the voice of the spirit and wants to react in obedience. So, live out your God created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others, the way God lives toward you. Hey, okay, I'm going to end with what I began with the title Christ Fulfilled the Law. Okay, He fulfilled the Law. And boy, did He fulfill it to the uttermost so that in Him we get the free gift of righteousness by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and and his and his gift toward us and we live out of that new heart that he's given to us have a wonderful week bless you all and see you next week